Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Bear Sage Institute colleague, Ed Klass. On today's show, folks, we're going to be talking about business models of the future knowledge worker with Hector Garcia. Hey, Ed, how's it going? It's going good, Ron. This is I, I'm, I, this show is very organic. That's what I'm saying. We're going to call this or this is our organic show. Yeah, and I and I can't. I've lost track on how many times Hector's been on with us, but uh, as if he needs an introduction. I mean, the guy's got over what a hundred million YouTube views or something. But Hector is an accountant, CPA, consultant, business advisor, YouTuber, and father of four. He's CEO of QuickBook, Quick Bookkeeping, and has ten plus years of experience working with small business owners with all aspects of their finance, such as income tax, accounting systems, tech, technology, and business operations. Hector, welcome back to the Soul of Enterprise. Hey, guys, this is so exciting. Glad to be back. I don't, I don't know why you would have me back, but uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll know, this will, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to this. I, before we dive into it, I know the topic you want to talk about today is business models. I just want because we've been talking so much about AI and ChatGPT and all of this stuff, and I just you know I just read literally just read before we went live an article in the Economist talking about how AI is not diffusing as rapidly as people think, and they put this in incredible historical context, and maybe we can talk about this later at some point. But um, the point being that you know. <laughs> It, you know, the question, will accountants be displaced by this or certain occupations that are at risk of being displaced? And I guess the way I'm thinking about it these days is, well, yeah, those who don't use it might be at risk of displacement. But tell us your take. Why are you optimistic about the future of knowledge work? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, for some context, I've been obsessed with ChatGPT, OpenAI, and I've also been doing tons of experimentation to try to figure out how does this matter to me, the, the practitioner, the small business consultant, the accountant? And I've been experimenting with you know, working with programmers saying, hey, can I get my GL data, my accounting data to interact with ChatGPT and then evaluating the quality of that interaction, you know, whether ChatGPT is doing an analysis or interpolating or in and interpreting or giving me some tips or what to look at, what not to look at, how to think about the data. So we've been experimenting with that. And like everything, this is not perfect at all. And in many ways, I would say that I would much prefer a recent graduate uh, uh, human being giving me their very wrong and experienced answer versus the half hallucinated, half baked chat GPT answer. However, we're just getting started. I mean, we, we, we're, we're putting this this system to the test. We're we're feeding it data. We are we are training it, and I have no doubt. I have no doubt that uh, artificial intelligence would be will become the backdrop of the technologies that we use, uh, just like nail technology. Like if you actually go back and look at the technology of nails, we're talking about the nails that you nail on the wall. Nails have advanced in technology. For the keen eye, for most people, 
And the nail, what a nail looks like today versus what a nail looked like 100 years ago is the same nail, but they've been perfecting the width, the little ridges, the, the pointiness, right? Like how, how hard the head is so you don't break it. So these little tiny little advances sort of happen behind the scenes, you know, the researchers, both the researchers and the commercializers, because like the AI world is sort of in between the research, just people just testing, 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 publishing papers. And then the folks trying to figure out how do we monetize this thing? Like how do, how do we leverage it? How do we make our current software better? How do we make our practices better? And I'm optimistic because uh, us as humans, we always look to optimize the technologies to make it easier for us to do the stuff that used to take us longer before. So we can either use that extra time for leisure or to add value back into our endeavor. So I'm very optimistic because I don't think AI or technology or software will displace accountants. It, it, would, it would only add to them. However, a big caveat, if you take a snapshot of what the profession was up to December 2022, this is before the explosion of ChatGPT, and ChatGPT is two phenomenons. Uh, one is the phenomenon of the actual technology that, that, you, that you see, so the manifestation of the technology in terms of what it does. And secondly is, which I think has the most effect on me, how, how it has opened our minds has opened our, our thought process, has opened our creativity in terms of imagining the possibilities of things that we can do. Prior to ChatGPT coming out and being what it is, it never even occurred to me that like part of my function now as an accountant, as a leader of this profession, is to experiment with these technologies to figure out where we're going. You know, I always thought, hey, you know, I'm, I'm really well known for what I do. I could do it really well. I could probably make a living for the next 20 years without changing anything. But I believe that if, if, if I am at the forefront of understanding how these things work and I propose how these things could work and I'm, I'm part of the movement as, as a leader in this profession, I think I can help shape it. I, I absolutely think I can help shape it. So I'm optimistic because I believe that AI in accounting would be like a hammer for a contractor. The hammer didn't replace a contractor. You only added to it. So that's how I feel about that. So you also say it's time for self-disruption. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of Clayton Christensen here. And history records a heck of a lot more self-destruction than self-disruption. It's very hard for an existing legacy business to disrupt itself. So what do you mean by it's time for self-disruption? Look, when, when I went to college, for some odd reason, I took most of my electives in religious studies. And one of my, one of my favorite religious uh, story, a study or one of the, my favorite religions was Hinduism. And at the core of Hinduism, there, there's tons of gods in Hinduism. I'm not an expert in Hinduism, and I, I'm open to being corrected in any specific mistakes. But at the core of Hinduism, there, is, there are tons of gods, but there's three main really important gods, which is the Trimuri. These three gods are three separate gods, or gods and, and goddesses, but they all become one, sort of like the Christian version of the Holy, Holy, the Holy Trinity. And these three gods have, have three tasks at hand. One is the God of creation, the other one is God of preservation, and the other one is the goddess of destruction. And in the, in the Hinduism thought is all life cycles go through these continuous movements, right? Creation, preservation, and destruction. And it's essential for perpetual life. This is beyond us. Remember, Hind Hindus believe in nirvana and, and, and just sort of evolving your current life form. But it, for, the, 
from the perspective of eternal life cycles. You need to have creation, preservation, and destruction. And I, and I draw this analogy, and I didn't really realize it didn't connect with the stuff that I used to study, be fascinated with years ago, when I was watching my, my six-year-old uh, use uh, one of those magnet doodles. This is like toy from the 70s where you draw and it's sort of magnetic. But there, are, there isn't a way to like delete or erase specific areas. A magnet doodle is you're drawing, and if you're fed up with it, you swipe it and the whole thing slates clean. And I'm watching my son like trying to draw something. I forget what he was trying to draw, but he just it wasn't coming out right. He kept he kept tweaking and tweaking and tweaking it. And he went through, you know, six or seven clean slates until he was able to sort of uh, build the work of art that he was imagining. And, and, I, and I draw that analogy because I think that the accounting profession right now, and I would probably say multiple professions too. I don't want to speak about law and maybe possibly real estate and architects and engineers, but I think that specifically the accounting profession, we're in this stage of preservation and we are trying to elongate the, 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 the preservation way too long. We're just being way too comfortable and we're forgetting that, look, right now what we need is we need that guidance of destruction to wipe it clean and create something brand new if we want the eternal perpetual life of our profession. And by profession, I don't mean the accountant that that we think about today. I mean, what I mean is the financial guru, the financial money sage that entrepreneurs need by their side so they can focus on creating value for the world while we keep track and keep dips of, you know, sort of the, the economic matters of it all. That's what the accountant has been forever and the accountant should be forever. And this is a human to human thing. The computers, the AI will compute and we will use that and leverage that. But you need that other human being, that other partner to say, hey, I think this is how we should manage these resources. I think this is how we spend this, how we should uh, keep, protect, et cetera, et cetera. But the profession itself, as we know it, I believe requires a destruction or self-disruption, as you want to call it. And I, I don't make a distinction between destruction and self-disruption. The only possible dis distinction I can think of is destruction will come from outside forces, right? Where we won't even know what kills us because it doesn't look like us. It could be Amazon or it could be a company that we don't even know it exists. In 10 years, we'll be like an Amazon style company that could completely come in and, and change the name of the game, change customer perceptions, and we won't even be able to catch up. That could be destruction. But self-disruption is Let's shape it together. Let's let, let's 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 destroy it and rebuild it together. And do you see that going on out there enough? I mean, is are there enough laboratories that are willing to change the legacy model of running a firm? I don't think there's enough. I, I think that the challenge. I think we are cursed with success at the moment. We we are we are living the curse of success. I mean, you've seen tons of reports in the last 10, 15 years where they talk about the most profitable professions, right? The professions with the most margin, with the most profit and accounting is at the top. And you see all these software companies trying to eat our lunch for lack of a better term, trying to you know, tap a little bit into it. And for whatever reason, we're still sort of up there in the, in the profitability sort of ranking and we're, we're cursed with that success. At the same token as, look, as an accountant dealing with small business, a lot of small business owners are making mistakes, but because they have cash in the bank, I call it the curse of cash flow, right? Because they have the money in the bank, so they don't have that, 
that, uh, that fork in the road per se that's causing them to make a change. And then the, the problem accumulates and accumulates. And I think we're in that particular problem right now. We have the curse of success. It makes zero immediate sense and zero short-term sense to destroy it because it's too much of a good thing. Right. No burning platform, as they say. Well, Hector, we've only got a minute left, so uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and go into our break so I can spend a little bit more time with you. But folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Do check out our Patreon channel where you can become a member and get bonus episodes. And that you can find at patreon.com slash TSOE. And that channel is sponsored by 90 Minds. Find a mind at 90 Minds. Check them out at 90minds.com. And now a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah 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 Whatever, and four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise and today on the soul of enterprise we are once again speaking with hector garcia H- hector just based on the conversation that you just had with ron it is clear that you have been giving the concepts of, of AI, but more importantly, business models, some very deep thought. Um, where, where has this led you? What, 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 are you? what are you thinking about now? What's, what's, what's going to come from this? Well, first of all, the core inspiration has come from both of you guys, uh, for, for the most part. Uh, Ron, Baker, Ron Baker's book, Time's Up, it was one that resonated with me quite a bit. Uh, my firm was going in way too many directions and I wanted to simplify my offering and go to a subscription business model, which is already in uh, in uh, it well in transition mode. And we could discuss that maybe a little bit later on. But uh, sort of tangential to this, I, I always wanted to um, get Ron and Chris Doe, who's a YouTuber, 
you know, very famous for being a creative person and creative person teaching creative people business concepts. And he's a fan of Blair Enns uh, as well. He follows Jonathan Stark. I mean, like sort of in the same circles of, you know, transforming the business to a value-focused, value-based business. And I sort of fantasize of, hey, can you know, what if I get Ron and Chris to like, talk to each other and we have this sort of like the 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 accountant hyper logical hyper reasonable uh business model person with like the super creative person you know what can come off this and and i finally connected them they did a youtube video and that youtube video is super sort of overperforming my expectations of watching like all all these people listen to ron for the first time i thought it was very satisfying so then I said, hey, what if we get them together in a conference, have them come to Miami where I am, and then we'll figure out what the conference will be all about. So, uh, so you, we, we got the date, we got the venue, we locked them in and say, okay, what is this going to be about? Well, you know, Chris Doe did a huge pivot of business model. He started, he went from a graphic design firm to an education behemoth, Ron Baker, disrupted himself by having a full livelihood on value pricing and writing a book to say, you know what, value pricing has had its time. It's time to look at uh, time's up. So these watching these two people and also watching what's happening in my profession and the opportunities in my practice and anything you can think of, AI, like all these things coming in and saying, you know what, this conference has to be about my journey in in moving to the subscription model. It needs to be about my journey on ditching a very good model, which is a value pricing model to move into this and getting Ron and Chris to support us in this concept that we have to have the initiative, take the leap forward and self-disrupt and build a business model that's more akin to customer expectations, more akin to uh, giving customers frictionless access to us and more akin to what's going to happen with technology and how customers are going to expect the delivery of our work product is going to be significantly different. So if the entire platform of, of delivery of our work product changes and the business model doesn't, what's going to happen is the people that build those platforms that change the delivery system for, for our work are the ones that are going to tap in into the commercial side and they're the ones that are going to essentially offer because they have the, the customer's eyes basically right in front of them. They're the, they're the ones that are going to offer the service per se and it won't be with accountants. It would be with software companies. So I'm strongly thinking that us, we have to get in the forefront of that before the software companies do it and AI will be, uh, it, it will be at the backdrop of our conference but I think that it will be in the forefront of the changes that are happening in the next four or five years. So as you were talking there, it sounds like this is really just an incredible ruse for you to get Ron and Chris together so you can have dinner with them in Miami is really, it's really, really, but well, and it also reminds me quite frankly, Hector of, of Ron's vision when he, when he put Verisage Institute together too, which was to gather some really cool people together and and talk about ideas and and uh, I'm I'm excited to be a part of this as, as well. Talk talk about the the particulars just to get the, get them out there. Where when um, how can people find out more information about it? And you only have about thirty tickets left. Is that right? Uh, we got twenty two. But who's counting? Twenty two. Okay, okay twenty two. Uh, so act yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. So it's called Creative Business Models for Accountant. Imagine the logo being the huge word creative, the huge word accountant. 
and business models for really small. So the catchy thing is creative accountants. Oh my God, can you imagine? Uh, so we're kind of we're trying to bring in this left brain, light, uh, right brain sort of mentality to 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 self disruption. It will be in Miami. It will be uh, two and a half days. So the 26th and the 27th of October will be the official conference day. Ron will do a keynote. Chris Doe will do a keynote. Ed is going to make a special appearance, which we're not going to discuss his role yet. Um, <laughs> and uh, and on the 25th, we added a half a day of chat GPT because a lot of people are saying, hey, what about the AI stuff? I said, you know what? We'll do half a day and we'll just spend three hours geeking out on chat GPT. So it becomes the backdrop. And that way we're not distracted with like the specifics of technology because we want to discuss about the lasting skill of uh, eternal creativity and eternal self-disruption, which, you know, ChatGPT could be converted into some other competitor of, of, of AI and chatbots and stuff like that. So the technology is temporary. The mindset is permanent. And that's kind of what we want to do. And you go to altaccountant.com forward slash creative. And that's how you can sign up if there's tickets left. All right, altaccountant.com forward slash creative. Um, Greg will get that as part of our Twitter stream, so I'm sure we'll be able to, to talk about that, and it'll also be in the show notes for those of you listening after the fact. I, I did get a note from, from Greg that we are having some people listen live and are participating, so expect a question from our one of our audience members coming up soon, Hector. But I, I wanted to turn back to some conceptual things for you, and it, he, here's the thing that's really amazed me, and this just came into my mind in, in, in really the last week. I've been frustrated for however long Siri has been around. It's, Siri is really frustrating to use. I can use it, I've got it figured out. I know that I need to say certain keywords for it, but when I try to teach anyone, including my wife, how to use it, it never works out for her. It says Siri's stupid, and she is. How come ChatGPT is so much better, and when, when, when are we gonna see the integration of those two technologies come together so that these real-life conversations that people have will be able to do things like open your door or, or turn the air conditioning up or all of those things. What, 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 what do you think the disconnect has been on that? Well, my, my speculation here is, is that once Apple bought the Siri technology, which they bought it from a different company, there really wasn't... Called Siri, I believe. <laughs> yeah, something like that, yeah. So I, I believe there really wasn't a sort of a better competitor. I believe that's what it was. And then Apple said, you know what, let's work in other things and let's just keep that sort of to the side. And probably they were not expecting a chat GPT type thing. And then, and then chat GPT had a different model. You know, they started with sort of nonprofit concept. You know, they have 10 million, $10 billion of funding from Microsoft. I mean, uh, I, I believe that the focus, the focus on what I believe ultimately is that the open AI people were creative enough to envision ChatGPT being so much better than Siri. And Apple did not have the vision to, to see it be something beyond just what it is. And now Apple, like classic Apple, right? They're reacting and they have announced that they're going to pour millions or billions of dollars into AI. And we're going to start seeing Apple's version of, of an LLM, of a, of a large language model. But I don't know the technical reasons why Apple never did it, but I think, I think it, was, it just boils down to lack of creativity. So it was, it was it was lack of clean slate. It it was it was not they didn't they didn't destroy enough. They just they just bought and bolted is really what you're you're saying. And then and you see this real need for, to to really start from the ground up and rethink it. And that's what ChatGPT did. Yeah, I think in, in many ways AI is not new. Um, sort of mm -hmm. AI type of technology bots are not new, but AI probably had the magic doodle reset 
and started from zero right, on, until they got to where ChatGPT is now. And um, and we need an open AI type of company inside accounting. Uh, I, be, I strongly believe that could that could have this vision where like the open AI was building this for four or five years or maybe even seven years before they even released ChatGPT to the public. So it, it, we might need to you know, go in research mode and, and think about these things. Like, I, I don't know if we're going to walk out of a conference and say, I got the solution. It, it, we might not be. They hopefully will have a hundred attendees that all have different iterations of these things. And then we learn from each other and we reiterate and we're going to be in this constant state of creation and destruction, creation and destruction until we find a really good, strong formula that we can sustain for X amount of time until it's time to change it again. Like Ron says on the end of Time's Up, uh, referring to the ends game from Marco Bartoli, I believe is his name, which is, hey, subscription could possibly just be a temporary thing and we might switch to something else something that's more sort of tied with uh, what the customers ultimately get out of the work and we might in this process hopefully even if 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 the platform for payments is solely subscription uh will will be creative possibly in how we maybe combine subscription with value pricing or, or, or use subscription as the baseline frictionless uh, form of payment and then use that to then free up our minds to, to just really truly get creative on the delivery system. Because I think that a subscription might be the simplest, cleanest way to create a frictionless platform for customers to start paying us. And then once we get the economics and the finances out of the way, that's where we can start now experimenting with a delivery platform. Because I think our delivery platform and our and the experience, these two things are super truly lacking. And and when when Ron asked the question a couple of years ago, which I'm calling the Ron Baker question, and I'm trying to coin it as a Ron Baker question, which is what if Disney would enter the profession? That question enters my mind every single time some new Disney-esque type thing shows up. It's like, huh, you know, what if this would would be sort of the ethos on how we build a, a new business, right? Like we take we take this abstract concepts of our understanding of what a brand is, what a brand feels, and do use that as inspiration to build an accounting firm, or maybe don't even call it an accounting firm, a a uh, you know a financial a a a financial confidence platform for our customers, right? That's what we need to build. We give our customers confidence in their numbers. That's That should be our ethos. And the platform, the delivery system, that all needs to be innovated. I strongly believe on that. All right. Well, we have a question coming in from Alan, but we'll get to that in another segment. I don't want to give it short shrift. We're right up against our break. I want to remind those of you listening that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes, previews to upcoming shows. We also have a Patreon channel, patreon.com slash TSOE, which at a certain level, you can get a shout out like Geraldine Carter did. Geraldine Carter with Business Strategy for CPAs podcast. Check her stuff out at GeraldineCarter.com. We're also sponsored on Patreon by 90Minds. If you need find a mind at 90Minds.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. 
Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercials plus bonus content. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE, subscribe now, and be free. You're worth it. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And back on The Soul of Enterprise, and we have a lot of chirping in the uh, Twittersphere, or I'm sorry, the Exosphere, I guess it is now, the Exosphere. Uh, uh, Donna, hello, I understand you're listening live, that's great. And we have a question, guys, from Alan, and here's the question I want to run, I'll put this to, to the both of you. Alan says, I run a wealth management business, and as you may know, the fee model is charging for a percent of assets, so the more money you have, the bigger the fee. Six years ago, we moved to a flat fee retainer model, assuming that the market would follow us. Almost no one has. Is there an issue that the clients and customers are happy just to accept the model and that the majority of profession, professionals apply regardless? I think what he's asking there is he came in, tried to do a new model. Nobody's moved to this model. What do we do when customers don't move? When do we customers when customers get stuck? In this model, Ron, I'll, I'll, I'll can that off to you at first. Well, you know, I've done some work with some wealth planning firms and I've seen all sorts of different models. Some stay on the fee for service, some do the percentage of assets. Um, it, it's, it's a real challenge to change any, any industry's business model. I think you just have to pick a strategy that works for you and your firm and your particular customers, the customers that you're going after. That, that's my quick take on it. Hector, what's yours? Specifically, the, the sort of the finance world is something I don't have expertise in, so I don't want to trip on a landmine there, but I'll, I'll, I'll draw an analogy. Uh, my aunt, who's a realtor, I've been telling her forever that this concept of like, you have to show a million houses and then once somebody decides to buy a house, then you get paid. But in that process, she has market knowledge of the schools, of the crime rate, of the right street, of which street is noisy, which street is bright, which is not bright, you know, which route the police drive through, you know, when you hear sirens, where the hospital is, the quick route to the hospital, like all these sort of tacit knowledge about like, not just the multiple houses that you're selling, but the value around understanding what you're getting yourself into. And I believe that 
the, the particular with the real estate industry, all that stuff is just like customers don't care about that because it has not been brought to the forefront. So customers have only been taught that you buy a house, the realtor gets paid and that's it. And we and, and the, the, the real estate profession has not done anything, anything to try to create value onto the the, the, the meaning and professionalism to have a real estate professional by your side. So I believe we could draw the analogy and finance the same thing. The customers have only been taught that paying the finance pro, uh, professional, it's only a function of how much money is being moved around. I mean, money being, being moved around it's not the value that a financial uh, professional can give. Sometimes the pro- financial professional can give advice that has nothing to do with moving money. Sometimes the advice is don't move the money. But if there's no transaction, nobody gets paid. So, th- so the financial professional or in the entire financial advice industry has never done any training or, or education or innovation around Where's the value of telling people to do nothing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, right. You know, like even like during COVID, like I freaked out and I sold my stock and I shouldn't have. My financial advisor told me you should either sell or buy more. Like he never told me, hey, do nothing, you know, because the do nothing was not something that they get compensated on. It wasn't a transaction. And I believe that's the same real estate financial advice. I think a lot of these industries, you know, just the presence, just the access, just the peace of mind, just the be there for me just in case I need something. That piece, that that factor has not been valued. And I think that's the opportunity to, that's our opportunity to innovate. Let's let's look at the things that nobody else is looking at. And I, I t- tell you guys the, the example with Costco all the time. Like having a Costco card in my wallet feels good. Knowing that I can go to Costco anytime and see what Costco has, because the sheer value that is in Costco makes me feel that someone, some procurement person that took really, really uh, their time to make sure that they buy good product, decided to put it there. That in itself is valuable because Walmart will put anything that any any product that somebody will put slotting fees on and they have a line of credit to be able to finance. But Costco is different. Costco specifically chooses products that they feel are good. And that Costco members, like even not even Costco has done a good job at marketing that. And I think that's where opportunity is. It's, it's where's the value of just being there or just being a, a, a member of it? What's, what's the value of just being associated with, with that professional or that business or that brand? And I think that's missing and lacking in many professions. And I would just add one more thing, Ed, to, to, that, to the answer to, the, to my comment. Um, we interviewed David Bonson. Now, David Bonson is a wealth management firm out here in um, so Southern California, and I believe he is on a subscription basis. I don't know what his uh, pricing is in total, but he'd, he'd be an interesting guy to go look at his firm, David Bonson's firm. Yep. And Alan uh, did let, let, let you both know that your answers were insightful. So thanks. Thanks so much for that. Yeah. Thanks, Alan. Awesome. Well, Hector, you know, you also said, and I found this pretty evocative, um, the customer of the future will buy from those firms that provide two things. What are those two things? Okay. <laughs> so it, it goes back to, uh, to Drucker, right? With uh, marketing and innovation. I think at the end of the day, there's two things that customers want. Customers want to feel very good, very secure, 
about who they're who they're interacting with, who they're like you do doing with business Costco. with, like, you like do I with do Costco. with Costco, like I do with Costco, and like customers do with me, because I've created a huge, very important personal brand about telling the truth. Like that's that's my brand. My brand is I tell the truth about what I think about accounting and accounting software, et cetera, et cetera. People work with me because they're they're working with a truth teller. That's the brand I I, I try to build, and the second one is. It's, it goes back to marketing and innovation. And it, it, on the innovation side is the company that gives the least amount of friction to the value. So the, the shortest, easiest path to their goal. Okay. So I, th- I believe that a strong brand and a frictionless platform are the two things that customers will always gravitate towards. Strong brand, friction, frictionless platform, marketing and innovation. And that said, you know, I've been thinking a lot about strategy lately and just absolutely how critical it is because it's not a plan. You know, we, we have a business plan. You can control a plan. You can't control a strategy. MacArthur could not control the events of D-Day. He had a theory about it, (laughs) but of course the weather almost, you know, disrupted the entire thing. And the interesting thing to me about strategy is it looks at not it looks at not what is true it looks at what would have to be true and and your two things kind of lead into that i mean a good strategy is always uh obvious in hindsight southwest was an awesome strategy but nobody thought about it or or thought it was crazy when they first heard it right oh what do you mean you're going to fly to secondary tertiary cities only use one type of airplane have no classes fly no international you know all the things the southwest does that in in hindsight you go that was brilliant and that's how i feel about subscription even though it's been around in the medical profession since 96 it's a phenomenal strategy because it gets to the heart of these things that you're talking about not only to attract customers but i think to attract talent yeah, I, one of the things that I, I may have said that said in the past show is right now the, the this is going to be a supply side economics thing in the short term, right? Right now, we the professionals have to change our offering right now. Okay, if we wait five, ten years, it's going to be demand side. The customers are going to basically tell us what they're going to want, and we might not be able to unring that bell. But right now, we have the opportunity where we have the control. We are the ones that have full control over what offering we can we can give. And I think that that's what we're going we're gonna to transform. I, th- I believe the, the subscription model is one of those paths, uh, probably the easiest one to implement, the easiest one to immediately see uh, value on. But the in, in the long in the long term, okay, customers always want perpetual value. Customers always gravitate towards perpetual value, even with products, even with products. The best products in the world offer some sort of lifetime discount or sorry, lifetime guarantee. Okay. And uh, and that's what people buy. Even if people end up throwing it away or the technology becomes outdated, the, the lifetime uh, guarantee is it's it's something that tells the world that hey, we are going to, our brand and, and our promise of quality will outlive the transaction. And uh, and economically speaking, it's very difficult to give lifetime guarantee on one transaction, on one tax return, on one year financial statement. So the only way to economically align those two things is we have to say, hey, 
we're going to give you lifetime quality, life perpetual quality, lifetime guarantee. As long as you are associated with us, subscribe to us. And the only way to tie those two things is to subscribe. I, I, I just don't see any other, any other way. I don't see it. It was difficult for me at first to see it, but I don't, I, 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 can, I can, right now at the moment, I can only fathom. If you want perpetual value, I will, I will guarantee perpetual value. You need to be perpetually subscribed to me. I, I don't see any other way. Now, last time you were on, you were talking about your pivot of your firm to the subscription model. So it's been a few months. How's it going so far? What's been going on with that? Well, I'll start with the with the sad news is we lost some we lost some customers, right? Um, the 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 change to subscription brought two things. One is a simplification of our offering. Uh, we had to, in order to be able to do this without having to make a significant investment in new teams and new employees, et cetera, et cetera, uh, we've had to reduce the scope of the work that we do. So we got rid of tax because it would have been really difficult to subscribe to both. Although I'm starting to see, like now that I'm starting to see this implemented, I am now starting to see how tax could be very super easily folded into this. But it wasn't until I took it away that I was able to see it because while the tax was there, with my current 500 uh, uh, tax returns that I was doing, with those 15 years of bad habits of the customer's expectations being a certain way, it was it was it was very opaque. I, I could not see past it. But now that they're not there anymore, now I'm starting to engineer. Okay, how am I going to bring tax customers, roll them into this, and uh, and it's probably going to have to be new customers. So I, you you transform your firm one customer at a time. That is so true. It's so difficult to make the the transition. Uh, and the reason why we didn't just completely destroy our firm and start it over is because at least our bookkeeping customers uh, they're with us because they believe they're working with the best damn bookkeepers in the world. And we, we truly, truly appreciate that's how they feel. And we said, you know what, let's continue to leverage that. So we kept our current bookkeeping, our monthly bookkeeping clients. We offered a new model with a lowered scope. A lot of, a few people, I would say a lot, a few people left. I would say about 15% have left, uh, about 80% have started to accept the new reality and, and the rest, you know, we're still sort of discussing and kind of uh, walking them through, through the change. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the delivery mechanism hasn't yet changed, which we talked about earlier, but that's exactly what we were working on for 2024. We're going to completely change the delivery mechanism too. So what, by delivery mechanism, I mean, uh, emailing PL and balance sheets. That needs to be destroyed from our industry completely. Like that's the most impersonal thing in the world, emailing a PL and a balance sheet. So we're, we're, we're experimenting with different platforms, which is, okay, what would this look like next year where customers click a button to subscribe, click a button to log in, and they have all the information they need, including potentially building a chat bot where people can ask questions about the financial statements and that sort of thing. We're really looking into that technology and investing into training the bots and what have you. So this is going to this is going to be the reality we're not replacing the humans absolutely not the humans are still going to be there but we're, we're reducing the friction for the customers to get to at least the first layer of value get the, get the information get it easy get it easy to to understand and be able to interact with the platforms in a basic level and then be able to easily scale up to the human being so that's that's exactly how it's going right now it's not perfect but uh but uh, the, the, the few customers that we lost opened capacity for the new ones that we're, we're sending offers on at, at a higher value. So, so it's, working, it's working out. 
That was my next question. We got less than a minute, but for the new customers coming on, you've got more of a Netflix, right? Type offering. How right. is that? How is that being received by new customers that come to you? Yeah. And I think this was true also with value pricing. This is more of a human nature thing is uh, when they have zero history, what you offer them is the entire universe of options. Okay. Um, so I think the customers are truly, truly liking that, uh, the, the whole concept that, that the very first thing we talk about is you can unsubscribe anytime. Like we're leading with a divorce, which is a very weird thing. But, but that, I think that, that lowers all the anxiety from the conversation. And I've, I've always believed that, that, that leading with a divorce and maybe not the best thing to do in, in, for in a human relationship, but in a business relationship, usually what it does is it, it causes the person to go, huh? Interesting. This person is not worried about keeping my business forever. What is it? What, what is it about their brand? Why are they so confident? Why are they making it so easy? So it opens up really fascinating conversations at the very beginning. And we we're telling people about the transition and a lot of people are digging it. They're liking it. I mean, the high tech people, uh, particularly, they're, they're, they feel very connected to it. Well, thanks for that, Hector. I get a lot of questions from people because of Scaling New Heights, that video you did. How's Hector's transition going? So that was a great update. Thank you for so much for that. So folks, we'd like to remind you, if you want to contact me or Ed, send us an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors, including Ed's employer, Sage. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is, for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Today on The Soul of Enterprise, we have knowledge badass Hector Garcia. And Hector, I want to... 
I want to run a concept by you here. I, 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 this is something that's been been personal in, in in my life for the last couple of weeks, really, maybe even months, and will continue to be. My son is a, a rising senior, started his senior year yesterday. Uh, today is day two of school. We had a, a visit today at Austin College in Sherman, uh, Texas. And one of the things that came up again is, hey, what's, what's your major? You know, what, what, what do you perceive major to be? And I'm firmly convinced that not only does the job that my son will get out of college not exist, I'm not sure that the major that he will major in exists. And that's only four years from now. (laughs) Uh, Wow, that's that's, that's huge, especially in in a I mean, I'm in a position where I truly need to try to encourage people to go to accounting we need accounting professors we need we need accountants we need accounting technologists like we, we badly need them as in a profession but you're 100 uh, uh um right about that and i think i sent you guys a video a couple of months ago in in a it was a it was an interview where they were asking some gentlemen about, you know, their thoughts. I think it was with Jordan Peterson. So their thoughts about, uh, you know, how this is changing professions. And, uh, and they made a point that the professions that are right now thriving with interaction with, with, uh, with ChatGPT are the literary ma- majors. They're the English majors. They're the, the, the philosophy majors, like all, all these professions that we usually use as, uh, end of the jokes, right? In terms of in terms of the potential success, and you know, at the opposite side of that is the accountants and the lawyers and the and the and the software engineers and the and the bankers or doctors or whatever. All these deep philosophical professions that think about how humans act and react, that can translate their observation of behaviors into words, and can use those words to interact with large language models, like basically the database of the world in one place, like the, the average of human knowledge, which is not necessarily a good thing, but the LLMs are basically the average of human, human knowledge. But if you start uh, pinning these philosophical concepts against the average of human knowledge, you start discovering some really interesting things that being able to talk to a computer is valuable, but it's valuable because that's the way you would talk to a human being. So the computer essentially is just mimicking what it would be like to talk to an average human being. And I believe the professions of the future would be deeply, deeply, deeply rewarding good communicators, like just in general, good communicators, not necessarily like public speaking communicators, but people that can translate ideas into machine thinking, or they can take the machine thinking and translate that into human uh, idea. So the prompt engineer, which is like probably the, one of the most sort of common new professions, right? This is the new influencer, right? The, the prompt engineer. The prompt engineers and variations of, of prompt engineers would probably be the ones that we start seeing 10, 15 years from now um, be the most successful. And, and, and maybe within the roots of philosophy or history or, or, or sort of human studies. You know, it's interesting. I was talking with Doug Sleater, who I know is also coming to the the conference as well. So pretty excited about that to see him. Uh, And and I I took this away from uh, Russ Roberts' episode from I think four or five weeks ago. All language is translation. All language is translation because we're we're trying to translate from our brain, which doesn't understand language, to something that we can say. Then it's going in through your ears, which doesn't understand language, then passing to your brain. All language is translation. So this is a really meta concept, isn't it? 
Yeah, and I shared this with Ron, uh, I think it was last year. Uh, Ron was speaking in a conference and he was you know, teaching his sort of subscription model 101. And there was a live sign language translator on the stage. Ron, I think you remember, remember that. It was a unique experience. And it happened to be the same week that I couldn't talk because I got vocal cord surgery. And I knew I was going to go to this conference, not being able to talk. And my wife and I learned a little bit sign language, but I, like everything in life, I obsessed with sign language for like two weeks. Right, so I started to learn sign language and I happened to be put in, in a talk where there was a, a live sign, sign language uh, interpreter. And some of, some of the signs I was already understanding, but then I was starting to notice that sign language cannot be as rich as English. And if you've been to a Ron Baker uh, presentation, he picks his words very specifically. Okay, so like the word goal and the word and the word uh, expectations or the word results, goal, results, expectations, they're three different words. And, and somebody eloquent like Ron trying to explain a concept would use those words strategically in every single part to make a, a different point. But a sign language is only one sign for all of them. You know, and I noticed that and I noticed, huh, that person, even if the person is perfect in sign language, they're not getting the full piece of intended communication from Ron, it has been translated. So I think translation goes both ways. Translation can degrade the, the communication that's being transferred, or in many times, translation can enhance it. I mean, I've been in conversations where someone makes an awesome point, and then two people just like don't get it, and the other person just says one word that just sort of connects the, the one concept with their worldview or maybe some inside experience and they go, ah, of course, that one word, that's, that makes sense. So I think absolutely, uh, the, you know, the, hard, the harder communication, there is translation. And I think that if we as professionals understand that and understand that translation is also sort of reframing, right? Where you take this, the same problem and you explain it differently or you translate it to the way that customer would understand and connect with, you, you, could, you can move much faster. Well, that's a perfect leading for the, the final conversation. We've only got about a, a 90 seconds or so left, Hector. Uh, on our bonus episode, we're going we're gonna to talk about avocados and, uh, and, and, and business models. Just, just drop a little bit of your avocado exercise on the group and say this is what we're, they're going to see down in Miami if they come to and participate. Yeah, absolutely. So my brother and I, who are organizing the conference, we, we did a webinar for like all my followers. And we said, hey, I'm going to give you a preview of how we how we innovate. OK. And then we asked the crowd, hey, give us a thing. And then we give them a couple of options and everybody voted and they vote avocado and then give us a dollar. And then everybody voted and they came in. Forty nine dollars was what they voted and give me a target person. And we give them a couple options. And they said, I think it was like a human. It was a a business owner in their 40s. And then we took these three concepts and say, okay, how does a, a, a busy business owner in his 40s, and it was male, it was, it was very specific, like the specific, in his 40s, subscribe to avocados for $49 a month. And then, so Carlos and I came up with a framework highly inspired by you, Ed, on the conference we had in Chicago like five years ago, where we're going to ask each other specific questions. What does the avocado look like? And we started, okay, it's small, it's round, it's handheld, it's nutritious, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's perishable. Uh, what is it used for? Okay, you eat it. It, it, it it's, it's from Mexico, it's trendy. And we ask a whole bunch of questions, like 30 questions in total. And then we do this sort of Venn diagram where we connect everything together. And finally, we come up with this hypothetical business model on how you could sell avocados on subscription to that target customer. And that's, that's 
and that's uh, indicative or an illustration of how in abstract thought and abstract brain, brainstorming, you can start now thinking about like, how do we do this in accounting and in bookkeeping and tax and legal, whatever. Outstanding. Well, that's just a little bit of a preview. Ron, what do we got coming up next week on the show? We're hitting another accounting influencer ad, Seth David from Nerd Enterprises. All right. Can hardly wait. I'll see you in 167 hours. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business, and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com or full show notes, probably including Hector's avocado video. And if you want to contact Ed or me, send us an email to ask tsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.